Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you that it's in you uh, that we live and move and have our being that... um, it's Jesus who holds all things together, that when we feel fractured and broken, you are the one that we find refuge in, uh, and you are the one that, that pulls all of those disparate parts of us back and makes us whole again. Thank you that it's in you we find peace, and that, that we don't have to go off to somewhere else to find you, but that you are always with us, because it is in you that we live and move and have our being. Um, so this week, uh, we're going to continue talking about prayer. Um, and I want to follow, probably shouldn't say that because that raises expectation. I'm going to do this week because last week Lizzie did her stuff and, and it was excellent. Um, it's kind of just what, what Lizzie did was brilliant because it kind of hits everything. It was like some insight. It, it was really kind of well grounded. There was a lot of practical stuff. How many of you have been using your candles this week? That's a shock. I'm glad Lizzie is not in here <laughs> to see that. Okay, the candle thing's actually been really good, um, but I really, I really do want to talk about something that really overlaps to the point of being redundant almost <laughs> um, about prayer, and, and it's kind of this idea of, of um, finding peace in, in prayer. So if you want to turn with me to, to Philippians 4, we're going to be in Philippians for a little bit, um, I'll just read it out as well. I just wanted to be awkward because most of you have got cups. <laughs> it's a really famous verse, and it and it's one that I, I quite like. Do not worry about anything. So this is verse six and seven. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, that feels quite topical because of a lot of the songs we're sort of singing about was this idea. Um, do not worry about anything or do not be anxious for ever, anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I, I, love, uh, I love these verses because, I don't know about you guys, but there are things, there are times in life where you, where you do feel anxious, right? Um, it's kind of a universal feeling. And, and what, what the word anxious or worry that really has at its root is uh, being pulled apart literally it means to be separated into different pieces and you, and you know this because when you feel anxious you don't feel fully present where you are because your brain is maybe um, dwelling on something that's already happened or, or dwelling on something that's going to happen or thinking about somebody that is somewhere else so you know that feeling of being broken down being fractured you're, you're trying to be in a few places all at once and you cannot physically do that so some some part of your heart or some part of your mind is dragged somewhere else um and so it's about this this idea of being pulled apart do not be pulled apart but in all things um come back to that that prayer come back to god and that peace will will, um that surpasses your understanding and so when it talks about understanding it really is not just about oh i get that is in you comprehend something. It's about the way our minds work. So when you're anxious, your mind 
it's broken down, isn't it? You find it really hard to focus and be present. So it's not talking about just, I don't, I don't get quadratic equations, as in understanding. It's talking about how you think in general. So do not be pulled apart. But this piece that, that has authority over um, you know, how we think can rule the way we think. And so when it talks about surpassing, so we've done anxiousness, we've done minds or understanding. When it talks about surpassing, it doesn't mean that it's better than so you can not have the other one. It's not an either-or situation. So you either have peace or you have understanding. That's not what it's saying when it says it's better than surpassing. Uh, me and Nick have just been into Amsterdam and, and there is this, this pervasive fragrance of weed everywhere. So they really get the idea of you can either have some sort of cognitive understanding or you can be blissed out of your brains on weed. But it's not that kind of vacation of understanding. It's not kind of getting out of your mind. It's about surpassing in terms of authority. It's above. It's in charge of. Okay, so do not be pulled apart by all these things. Instead, come to God in his peace can command or can rule over or can dictate to your understanding to how your brain functions and when we talk about peace we already know you know we've probably been heard it a lot about the shalom of god you know nothing missing nothing broken which is, is 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 couched in the negative sense but really like the peace of god isn't just um an absence of of any conflict going on the peace of god is being made whole it's being put back together it's taking something that's fragmented and broken and restoring it to its full potential that it always had so it's not just nothing missing nothing broken that's the negative context of that word it is actually being made whole in a way so if we put all that together what we have is do not be pulled apart do not be fractured do not be broken down but instead in prayer come to God and his wholeness will take over from your understanding, which is scattered. Okay? And the thing is, is like lots of things happen in our lives to, to cause us to feel anxious, worried, divided, absent. We're always pulled in a multitude of directions by, by our jobs, by our family, by people we care about, by situations that we feel passionate about, whether that's uh, passionate in, in a positive sense or in a negative sense. Um, you know, you only have to look at the news and to find a multitude of situations that you, you will feel uh, passionate about. And, and so in this sense, Paul is not um, giving us some trite statement to pin on our fridge or have on a bookmark. He's actually saying, look, <laughs> this is how life works. This is what happens in real life. And he was no stranger to suffering. But he's saying, look, in the midst of all of that, God can put you back together. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes uh, this is the, the only sort of prayer that I can engage in. You know when um, you know, stuff really hits the fan? And... and I'm not a particularly great prayer, so I have no idea why I've occupied three out of four weeks of this series already. Um, the monk is the fan. That's exactly it. Yeah, I think that's the official Greek translation. Um, I'm not a brilliant prayer, but when, when times just really uh, snow me under, and I'm, I'm the sort of guy that 
I don't like having loads of things hanging over my head. I get really stressed. I get really grumpy really fast. Um, and these are the only sorts of pray, prayers that I have in terms of I don't have a particularly developed prayer life, but it is just kind of God. And it might end there <laughs> with a full stop, just God. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea how to cope. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to do next to affect the situation. And I'm a typical guy where I want to solve things. That, that, as soon as a problem is presented to me, I want to be able to solve it. But a lot of times in life, they're not solvable problems. They're not things that you can just give a solution to. And so this is kind of the only prayer that I can pray. God, I have no idea. But I know that this is pulling me apart. And I know that if, if, if anything is going to happen good through me, that I can't be this fractured, broken individual. <laughs> I remember um, when I was younger, I had this dream, this reoccurring dream. Uh, I was going through a particularly stressful time at Open Doors. And um, I had this dream that, that just kept happening to me every night where I was on this kind of this rock in the middle of the ocean and there was a mad storm very cliched metaphor <laughs> and I was kind of desperately clinging onto this rock and you could see like the scratch marks on it and my fingers were all bloody from trying to grab onto this rock and it just felt like this storm was battering me and something was trying to pull me off this rock I couldn't see what it was but I, and I was desperately clawing and then like one night the dream resolved and it turned out that it was God's hand just picking me off the rock and all this time I'd been fighting against it and, and the idea was that God was all along trying to hold me together. And I was trying to hold it all together myself. Because we do that, don't we? <clears throat> um, the last month, um, well documented now, you know, we've been, as a family, we've been through the ringer a little bit. Uh, you know, so first it was Nick being in hospital with Sarah's pneumonia. And then it was uh, my father-in-law having, like, dropping dead on a football pitch. And then needing a triple heart bypass and just having our bathroom done and having people staying with us and, and all this kind of craziness. And <clears throat> sometimes it is just that I just need to say, God, uh, near, near to us at the, the local URC church around the corner, they've got this labyrinth, this prayer labyrinth. And uh, one of the things I found really helpful is that on the way back from taking Amber to school, I just walk around this labyrinth and one of the brilliant things about this labyrinth it isn't like a spiritual retreat type labyrinth or anything like because it's literally right next to the Anstey Road right so at kind of 10 to 9 in the morning Anstey Road's crazy busy but what they say on, on the plaque on the wall about the labyrinth is this labyrinth is deliberately in the midst of like the hubbub of life because this is where the peace of God needs to be known <clears throat> and so I found it just really uh, formational just to kind of take a time out spend you know like not long I'm not some super spiritual guy but just like literally walk around it and just know that somehow in the midst of all this like traffic zooming up and down Anstey Road in the midst of all the craziness of, of life in general that somehow there's a stillness of God that can that has some sort of efficacy that actually means something in the midst of all of that because sometimes we, ha- we can have this idea that spirituality is, is, is removed from life we have to you know we have these things called retreats where you go away from everything and then you find stillness. And they're great because they're actually really formational, so I'm not knocking that sort of thing, but sometimes we need that in the middle of all the chaos because the chaos happens. It doesn't happen on time. It doesn't happen on a schedule where you can get, 
oh, I've, I've booked a retreat for that weekend, so I can get out of it. It's, it just happens. That's the nature of that's the nature of life. And so, like uh, the, the thing that Lizzie shared last week, and then she put on the message board about I am in the river, and the river is bigger than me, and it's that sense of life is happening. Okay, and I'm in it. And therefore, it's it's not about being beamed out of that situation like some some uh, vacation or Christianity. It's about being in the midst of that. And so, so Paul is speaking directly into these situations. When you feel anxious, when you feel pulled apart, pulled in a million different directions by whatever is going on, through prayer, whatever that prayer may be, God's wholeness can take control over that, can rule over it. Because the thing is, we have this um, we have this tendency and we think and we think it's a benchmark of maturity or something where it's like we have to have it together. Get it together. Pull yourself together. You know, we have those phrases in our vocabulary as if we can do that with any sort of effectiveness. Like, everything's going wrong for you. Just pull it together. You know, you'll get through. Oh, right. That's what I was supposed to do. Why didn't I think of that before everything kicked off? And we think that it's a sign of weakness, that we can't pull ourselves together. And you know what? I think, I think that's all wrong. I think that's, that's, that's the height of hubris and arrogance to think that when everything kicks off, that all of a sudden we can pull it together they're the hallmarks of a sociopath. That's not, that's not somebody that's fully dialed in and engaged with the situation at an emotional level. That's somebody that's dialed out. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that as, as Christians in the spirit, there's a great relief that it is not our responsibility to do the unbreaking of things. It is not our responsibility to drag the fragments of our lives back together. It says in uh, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 that Jesus is the one that holds all things together by the word of his power. It is not you. In Revelation 4 it says there is one who sits on the throne and that one is not you. You are not responsible for keeping the universe ticking over. You are not responsible for keeping your life ticking over. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not worry, do not be anxious about anything because who of you can add a single second to your life. And there's this funny thing about like when things are going crazy, we have um, this illusion. You know, Jesus doesn't say, do not be anxious for anything. It'll work out all right in the end. And we have a tendency to do that, don't we? That sort of glib positivism. Because we haven't got anything else to say. We have these reassurances of, it'll be okay. Will it really? How, how do you know? Do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? And if you do, why haven't you won the lottery yet? You don't. And the thing is, is when these things hit us, and we, we can retreat to that sort of glib positivism, and unfortunately Christianity is rife with that sort of vapid thinking. You know, Jesus and Paul, both of them knew the privations that life could throw at people. They knew how unfair life is. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, exposes the myth of control that we think we have over the things that are going on. 
<clears throat> and he exposes the myth of, 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 the, of the fact that somehow we could resort to some sort of controlling mechanism to dictate on you know I'm not going to allow this this chaos to impact me so actually these are the very things that form you and the, and the, the, the real thing is, is how, how are you going to be formed more into the image of Christ Christ came incarnate in the flesh for a reason if it was all about just changing the way we thought he could have just given them a book hey Peter you know let's do the Ten Commandments again uh, but here's some new stuff he wouldn't have had to be been incarnate, but the flesh is important. Being in the body is important. Being in the midst of situations and circumstances is important. Jesus didn't come to beam us out. Jesus came to transform us where we are, that we would transform everything around us. So instead of us trying to exert this control, which Jesus kind of fiercely in the Sermon on the Mount just completely takes apart, he says, no, go to the one who has some actual power to do something. Who of you can add a single day to your life? I'm really trying. That probably looked like something else. (laughs) But it's probably about just as effective, right? And somehow I've magically added some time to my life. It's just nonsense, isn't it? Instead... Jesus culminates the Sermon on the Mount with this. God knows what you need. God has got this. I love that phrase. God's got this. So seek his kingdom, which isn't a space in time, if you remember a couple of weeks ago. It's about being a peculiar people. Seek to be his people living in his way. And he will sort out the rest. And it's not God's going to beam you out of those situations. He's going to miraculously make it all disappear. The stress at work, dealing with those awkward family members... Donald Trump, Brexit, it's not all going to miraculously disappear because if it was, it would have already happened. There's enough people praying on both sides of the fence to make these things disappear. But Paul and Jesus are both saying, look, it's not about you exerting control. It's about you being formed into the image of Christ in the midst of all these things. So Paul says, if you are being pulled apart by all these things going off in life, if your brain is trying to occupy several spaces in time, all at once, then come and know Jesus. His peace will govern that thinking and he'll make you whole and fully present to be available in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the junk and the rubbish and the triumphs and the successes and the joys. He'll not beam you out of there or magically change it. He stills the storm that you are in. He doesn't remove you and take you to some vacation in the Maldives. There are many times where Jesus encourages to pray or petition God for the things we need. Uh, But really bizarrely, almost in the next breath, he will tell us that God already knows. Ask God for stuff, but he already knows. So you're left thinking, why? Why why bother? (laughs) Just just, just bypass that that little bit and just sort things out, please. You know, ask, seek, knock. But it didn't happen. So sometimes it can seem like God... It's withholding. But God, you know my needs. You know the things I want, God. So, so why not? Harry Potter has more success at getting the things he needs because he can wave a wand and it happens. Whereas God, you seem a bit lame compared to like Hogwarts. But I wonder actually if prayer is more about cultivating a relationship 
and allowing God to shape us and shape our hearts. To have our heart formed in the image of his heart, or as Kevin Prosh said, you know, break our hearts with the things that break yours. And therefore, the things that we're asking for, God, you know, he's not actually saying, I'm going to give you everything that you ever wanted. Maybe he says, actually, maybe that's not so smart. So like with our girls for Christmas, we say, you know, like, maybe Santa, will, yeah, we lie to our kids. Um, you know, maybe if you write down three things for Santa, you'll bring them. And then you kind of like, so when Emma writes that she wants to be a midwife at six years old, maybe don't ask Santa for that right now uh, because you might be disappointed that's in parentheses at the end of the sentence maybe you should ask for like you know Barbie's Corvette (laughs) because that's something a little bit more doable for Santa right now and so maybe prayer is God adjusting our hearts and therefore the things that we ask for change over time maybe our demands change as we encounter God who is able to meet our needs um rather than capitulate to our demands. So the things that we actually need, maybe we don't know. Maybe the things that we go to God with are actually just demands that are given in the moment. Prayer then becomes formational and relational, that it changes who we are and it changes the shape of our hearts and it moves us further into understanding God's heart. It moves us beyond thinking about our own wants and our own capabilities because that's often what it is. About, you know, like when I, when I was a lot younger and going to like soul survivors, oh God, mate, you know, I want to I wanna be this, you know, guitarist on stage and everything. And it was all about, just make me better at guitar. <laughs> and enhance my capabilities, which is a little bit like, well, I want to be Captain America. <laughs> you know, give me a serum and I'll be a super soldier. But instead we engage with God's heart which loves us as we truly are, not as we perceive ourselves, not as we uh, buy into the image that's given to us by other people, but God loves us as we truly are, and that's what he's calling us into. So God is calling forth our true self. And it's God's ability, it's God's capability that prayer is all about, not so much enhancing our own capabilities. And that's what meets our needs and makes us whole. Um, Thing is, and both Paul and Jesus understand this, that we have this tendency to think uh, that we can get it together ourselves. Um, and to that, Jesus says, trust. And similar night, don't worry, trust. And Paul says, pray. And I think it's probably the same thing, just using different words. Sometimes we're simply not self-aware enough of our own efforts to hold it all together. You know, even sometimes we, we mobilise Christian spirituality to help us get it all together through our own efforts. But then if you, you, you notice that tendency in yourself, like sometimes I, I realise this in myself, well, if I just pray hard enough, which is ironic given what I'm talking about, I can secure, I can get my brain into space, but then I could use like Buddhist meditation techniques or yoga or something to, 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 to affect the same sort of situation. I can get a deep enough breath into my lungs that I can be sane enough to cope with the next 24 hours or something like that. But actually, that's just me managing myself all over. What we're asking for is Jesus to put us back together. And we might not even know what back together looks like. We might have had all the puzzle pieces of our life all scattered out on the floor. And like when Sarah does puzzles sometimes, they're kind of jammed in. And they do go together, and sometimes you can't get them back out without breaking it. 
<laughs> but it ain't looking like what's on the box. And in our case, the box, the image on the box is Jesus Christ. It's not, um, you know, it, it's not some, like Eric Clapton being a stellar guitarist. It's not being um, Reinhard Bonnke being this amazing preacher to, to thousands and thousands. It's Jesus. And so my tendency would be to put the pieces back together in the wrong way. And sometimes we're not even self-aware enough to know that. And sometimes we're beset by so many voices telling us. Most of them well-meaning, some of them not so. This is who you are. This is who you are supposed to be. Go down this career path. Do this, do that, because you are this sort of person. And, you know, half of the voices are our own self-talk, where we talk ourselves down or we talk ourselves up through our narcissism. And we can delude ourselves into thinking that we know what we're doing, we know how to get it all together, we know what the end product of our life should look like. But prayer is the tonic. Prayer is the space where we can slow down, like Lizzie was teaching us last week, and allow God's voice to define us. Allow God's voice to form us, to shape us, to call us. Augustine said that a person prays that he himself may be constructed, not that God may be instructed. Because oftentimes that's what prayer is for us. God, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you how I want it to be. And I'm going to tell you who I am. And God sits there listening, patiently, with a wry smile on his face, thinking, you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. I love this guy, Rowan Williams. Look how thin the books are. (laughs) You can read like two of these in a week. He has this to say, which I just think is beautiful. And this is just me being a lazy preacher. To sustain life in the spirit under pressure, we need to retain the ability to say to God, tell me who I am. Because I'm not going to settle with what everybody else is telling me. I'm not even going to settle with what I am telling me. I need to hear it from God, the God who tells me. Because then I know I exist, I live, I flourish. Simply because of his speaking, I have called you by name, says God. You are mine, in Isaiah 43. Something about... Something in our prayer is about quarrying down to that level where we can hear that God is creating me and you now in this minute, breathing our names into the world and making us alive. That last line for me was a nice deep breath of fresh air. Something in our prayer is about quarrying down to that level where we can hear that God is creating me and you now in this minute, breathing our names into the world and making us alive. There's something about prayer that defines us as we truly are supposed to be defined. There's something about prayer when we get past, and I'm not knocking this, we need to go talk to God with all of the junk that's on our hearts. We need to tell God how things should be for him to laugh at us a little bit. In a kind way, of course, because he's God. But something about it is just getting to that point where we are silent and we can hear him just saying, Luke. And then when he speaks your name to know that you exist because he has thought of you uniquely as a specific Luke. Mm-hmm. For him to say, Sarah, that's you. And that you exist because you are a certain someone in God's heart. And it's that definition, it's that wholeness, that completeness, that pulling together 
hearing your own name spoken by the voice of God. It's not hearing, um, you know, prophecy for the next 20 years. It is not hearing, I'm going to make you a prophet to the nations. It is simply hearing your name spoken by God that creates and defines who you are in your whole unique beauty. To put us back together in healthy and beautiful ways, we need to hear God calling us. We don't need to hear ourselves. We don't need to hear our fans, the ones who support us, the ones who back us. We do sometimes. We don't need to listen to our detractors telling us who we are. For sure, all these other voices aren't bad. But the paramount thing is God's guiding voice calling us by name. And gently shepherding us to those green pastures and those still waters. You know, in, in this age of social media, we present an image of ourselves. Uh, whether deliberately or not, we present this image of ourselves that we want the world to perceive us as. So if you go on my Facebook page, you'll see someone who is a family guy, because Nick tags me in all of our family pictures... And a guy who's pretentious enough to just quote books all the time and not say anything meaningful, right? And that's the image I'm trying to present to the world. Not that I'm pretentious, but I'm very erudite and uh, wise. You know, it could be the pictures that we present of ourselves on social media. But you know what? God sees through all of that. Some of our friends and some of our enemies or whatever, if you want to call people that, we'll see through it too. But God is the only one who could shepherd us. You can call us by name and say, this is your true self. At the end of John's Gospel, there are these, um, I'm, I'm coming to finish now, there are these three uh, interactions that Jesus has. So Jesus has been crucified, and he's been laid in the tomb. And then he appears, and, and Mary the Magdalene is in the garden, and she's, she's crying, and she's distraught. She's just seen this guy who has given her some purpose in life. She is a woman on the margins of society. And when she followed Jesus, he made her someone. Just by being around him, she was validated in her life. And she has watched him brutally tortured and crucified and mocked and reviled. This man who gave her life back, she's watched him be killed. And, and she's in this garden and she's distraught because now she can't even find the body. What have they done with his body? Where has he gone? And then this person appears to her. And she, says, she thinks that he is the gardener. Yeah. And she says to him, what have they done with the body of my Lord? And he just says her name. He says Mary. And as he speaks her name, somehow, she recognises it's the same way. It's got the same inflection. It's got the same warmth. Yeah. That Jesus spoke to her. And he says, look, don't hang on to me. So Mary has been pulled apart in all sorts of different directions over the last three days. The person that's validated her life has been brutally murdered and then his body's disappeared. This person that she loved dearly with every ounce of her soul and Jesus, with one word, brings her to her senses just by speaking a name. He gives her her identity back. But not only this, she's not just the follower of Jesus, Mary from Magdala, that followed Jesus with his disciples. She is now the one who he says to her, 
go and tell the brothers that I have risen. So she is not just the same Mary. She is the Mary that tells the disciples. She is the first evangelist to the She's the first apostle to the apostles. Jesus has taken a life and with his voice calling her by name, put her all back together again. And he's repurposed her in the purpose that he had for her from the beginning. Then there is Thomas. Um, so along with all this, somehow Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. He was the only one missing other than Judas, but let's not talk about him right now. Thomas missed the first appearance of the apostles. And Thomas is still sceptical. They're all saying, Thomas, he appeared to us, he appeared to us. Ah, not, not buying it, guys. I'm, I'm not down with that. Just a really sick practical joke. And the disciples are just like, we thought he was going to be this king to push out the Romans, to overthrow the wealthy Israelites, the, the Sadducees, overturn the temple that's impoverishing us with its outrageous taxes. We thought he was going to be that guy and he still met the same end as all the other rebellious revolutionaries. I felt distraught. I, th- I put... I followed this guy. I thought he was the one. I thought we were ushering in a new era. This, this revolutionary spirit. And it was crushed just as brutally as every other revolution in Israel. And Jesus then appears. And he makes a beeline for Thomas. Thomas, you're the only guy that weren't here last time. Where were you, mate? And he says, look, I know you've lost hope that I was the guy. I was the one. But I am still the one who's doing a new thing. It was just not the new thing you were looking for. Come. Put your hands on these wounds. I'm not some ghost. I'm not some intangible spirit. I am the first fruits. I am the beginning of the newness. You've seen me die. Here's the evidence that I died. But you are touching that wound right now. A new thing is still happening. Thomas, you who have been broken apart... All of your hopes were crushed and dashed. Come, feel the newness that is coming. And you're part of that. So where Thomas was pulled apart, Jesus met him with his voice and spoke to him and put him back together again. Thomas's hope that had died was now resurrected. And then he becomes one of the first apostles. The story goes, I think that, oh no, it's Philip, I won't go there. And finally, there's Peter. Peter the brave, the bold, the foremost of the disciples. Peter of the three, the closest disciples. Peter that is always the first one to speak on behalf of the disciples. How must he feel now? In front of everybody else, multiple times, he steps forward and says, look, I'm going to be the guy to talk. I'm going to be the one. Even though all these guys, you know, they're right there. Even though all of these losers give up on you, Jesus. Yeah, I know they're right behind me, Jesus. I get that. I'm doing it on purpose. Even though all these losers give up on you, I won't. And yet, out of all of them, he's the only one that curses Jesus. And he has three opportunities. So if he failed once, no, I don't know that guy. He could maybe get it back together himself, right? And say, oh, that's just really embarrassing. That, that's, I shouldn't have done that. 
Okay, the next time somebody asks me, I'm going to say, yes, I'm fully with him. I'm ready to die like I said I was. No, second time. No, don't know him. Hate that guy. He's an idiot. Look at him. Hanging on cross. What an idiot. But then he had another time. He could have got it together. No, that's just really cruel. Like I said, I was going to follow him and I should. Okay, I'm, no, no, you're right. He's an idiot. He's a loser. Look at him. He's gone the way of all the other revolutionaries. Three times. It wasn't just once. Three times. He could have changed it. He could have got himself back together and been embarrassed so much by the first time he cursed Jesus and reviled Jesus and denied Jesus. But he didn't. He had three times. So now he's feeling crushed. He's in the midst of all the other disciples. And the thing is, is that Jesus already knew this. In Luke 22 says this, using Peter's better name, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And when you have once turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. So Peter didn't get it at the time. And Jesus says, Peter, I tell you, the cock will crow three times and you'll have denied me. So even when Jesus was telling him, you're going to deny me three times, Peter didn't get it at the time. And he says, he says, look, I've prayed for you. You will deny me. But when you come back, you're going to strengthen your brothers. Which is really interesting. And so they have this, this meeting together uh, on, on the beach. And we all know it. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. I feed my sheep. Peter, but do you love me? Lord, you're repeating yourself. Lord, you know I love you. Well, then go feed my sheep. Peter, because you deny me three times, I've given you a chance for a redemption for every single one of those times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then go feed my sheep. Peter, well, I have prayed for you. The devil has asked to sift you as wheat. But when you return, you will strengthen your brothers. Peter's life, who was fractured and fragmented, is brought back together by Jesus. Jesus knew that life was going to be cruel to Peter. That life was going to pull him apart in all sorts of different ways. And for each time that Peter denied him, he spoke his name. Peter, go feed my sheep. The voice of Jesus calling us puts us back together. And it gives us purpose. And please note that it is never just for ourselves. Mary was not put back together just for herself. She had a purpose to go to other people. Thomas was not put back together just for himself, just for him to say, I'm safe and sound and I'm completely whole and in my right mind. No, he was put back together to go be an evangelist who was tortured to death, spreading the good news about Jesus. Peter was not just put back together to just be Peter for himself. He was put back together to go and feed the sheep, to be the rock that the church is built on. Going back to Ryan Williams and something in our prayer is about quarrying down to that level where we can hear that God is creating me and you now in this minute, breathing our names, Mary, Thomas, Peter, Matt, Luke, Anya, Trish, Levi, Susie, Lydia, Nikki, Peter, Simon, Sarah. Breathing our names 
into the world, making us alive. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.